Hello and welcome to Cloud Magazine's inaugural podcast. For those who don't know us, we are a publication dedicated to the emerging gray areas between art, science and technology. With this podcast, we would like to introduce our audience to conversations with artists and intellectuals that are exploring these new frontiers. We're going to begin with the series for Sound Festival that we've produced in collaboration with Krakow's of Radio Station. In it, we will cover some artists of this edition and also topics that are relevant to our universe. On our first program, we're going to introduce you to the work of Johannes Klavers. Johannes is an Australian writer and developer of the intriguing discipline of post-human therapy that we will uncover later. During Unsound, Johannes acted as resident therapist for the festival and he also presented an improvised spoken word performance based on his research and using a method developed by John Cage. How to begin? Let's begin with a question. Why is there something rather than nothing? It's always good to begin with a question, especially if you don't answer it. Let it be answered by an echo or let the echo decide if it's right or wrong. Why is there something rather than nothing? This will be an improvisation. The point of improvisation is that you allow it to unfold and enfold and unfold and enfold endlessly or until you end it. Why is there something rather than nothing? I'm sorry if there are people here who are led to believe that this was going to be a talk on robotics or cyborgs or artificial intelligence or increasing the human lifespan beyond 130 years or how to make your cock stay harder for longer. I read the other day that there are scientists who believe that the Earth isn't real and we probably live in a giant computer simulation created by a more sophisticated post-human intelligence. Actually, we're living in a simulation created by the very unsophisticated intelligence of humans. Okay, forget about something and nothing. Let's begin with a different question. Hello. A question about something which is unquestionably a thing. Why is there suffering? There are so many questions about suffering. Why is there so much suffering? Why is there such an unequal distribution of suffering? Or let's put it in terms of cruelty. Why do some people make other people suffer? Why is it that the people who have the money, i.e. power, to relieve suffering, don't? How is it possible that we live in a world which has the capacity to produce enough food for everyone 
that there are people on one side of the world dying of starvation and people on the other side dying of obesity. What is post-humanism? People ask me what is post-humanism in the same way as people used to ask me what is post-modernism when I used to teach artists. To the artists I used to say, everything that you know about the, the history of art and the concerns of artists, why is there something rather than nothing? What they make and how they make it. It's always good to begin with a question, especially if you don't What is beyond it? that? But they didn't know. Let it be answered by an echo. And we don't know what post-humanism is. let the echo decide. But we may right speculate. So I'm not going to say post-humanism is this Why is and is something that. rather than nothing? Because it's speculative. And at the very moment that it stops being speculative this will be an improvisation. and ceases to mean the entirety of everything that is possible if we stop privileging humans, putting ourselves as a species first, then the opportunity that is presented by post-humanism, the idea of post-humanism, will be lost. So we have to be very careful. But one, stop putting yourself at the center. It's not only humans, but ourselves, each one of us, you and you and you and you. Or how to make your cock stay harder for longer. Be porous. Be nothing. I read the other day Be that everything. scientists who believe that the earth isn't real. Cease to exist. In a giant computer simulation. And for God's sake, let's stop reproducing ourselves. Intelligence. In his newest book, I am here. He unfolds the genesis of his theory that originated during several years working with the terminally ill. We caught up with him during the festival and we talk about how quantum physics influenced his theory and what a post-human therapist actually is and can do. That's the thing, you know, is when you're working individually mm -hmm. with people and you actually go into these questions and talk them through, you know, take them all the way as long as it takes. How you focus those the, these sessions? It's like it starts with like a question from from the not patient or the. What are you? Well, I mean, mm. if they want, that's mm -hmm. I give them that. Uh -huh. But often people come in with something that they want okay. to talk about. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with self-esteem. Okay, so let's think about what that actually means. Um, you know, um, self-esteem. That's about the self and about being something. And so, you know, you work through those mm -hmm. things and then you get to, what would it be like if you were nothing? What would it be like if you imagine yourself in the vast spaces of the universe as an electron, just floating? Or I don't know, I mean, anything is possible. But yeah, some people have, some people have a problem that they want to work with. They've tried other kinds of therapies and found them not useful. You know, because they start from a model of dysfunction, mm -hmm. which is located in that individual. And I'm an expert, and you're an individual that's dysfunctional, and I'm going to help you become more functional. Could you tell us about what this posthumanist therapy is? Or well, it's just consist? something I made up. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
I did, I studied narrative, I studied psychology, I studied narrative therapy, and I studied reality therapy, and I investigated informally other therapies and underwent therapy. Then I worked with people who have cancer, which is my book. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I worked three years with people who are dying, and I started thinking how to work with people, the work that I did with the dying, whether that would also be possible to do that in a context with people that are not dying. And then I thought, well, hmm, what's the problem here? And then it just went... And, you know, there's Nietzsche, God is dead. There is, as I said, Foucault said, man is dead. What does that mean? And then that sort of builds to then an intersection with new materialism and all the work that's being done by, particularly I think the women theorists are much more interesting than the men. Usually I think women do much more interesting theory than men. You know, I think men should just give up, <laughs> shut up, and I probably should as well. <laughs> but you know, when you have Karen Barad who's just doing the most incredible work. I mean, she's a, she's a, she understands quantum physics, she's mm -hmm. a quantum physicist, but she teaches philosophy. And her books are just mind-boggling. And then you have Jane Bennett, who's doing the work more poetically, with looking at enchantment. What do you think also like about Lynn Margulis, that also enunciated the, the Gaia theory in Lynn, Mar Lynn Margulis was a scientist that she did the, the Gaia theory. Not really. In which we allow part of like the um, uh, earth and humans. Right. It's like yes. mo more from the biology. Okay. Biology point, yeah, of, point yeah. of view. Yeah. Well, I'm like I'm a biologist. Right. So uh, and yeah, I think it's it's a little bit on on that trend and maybe comes from that idea as well of like like Foucault killed the man. Right. And then well all these theories that like put us more in touch with with either universe or the earth yes. and, and also I was really wanted to know what's like the, the influence of quant, uh, quantum physics in, in your theory. Well it's, it's absolutely essential as I try to get to at the end of my talk the idea mm -hmm. of the superposition you know the idea that all of a sudden we have this, this entire kind of culture based on the idea of binaries not this but that um, and then you, can, you get quantum objects which can exist in between being and not being, you know. And that's what I was saying as well, is, is the idea that, isn't it interesting that we are actually constituted by things that are in between existing and not existing? And how did we suddenly decide that we exist? You know, that discrepancy seems very odd to me. Mm, so, yeah, quantum, you know, the, the, and, and Barad's work in particular, you know, the idea of we don't have any agency. Nothing that we actually do is really meaningful. There is only our interactions, what she called interactions, um, between actants, what she calls actants. And um, do you think like ge genetics predetermines us to be um, humanists or self-centered? You know that that's such a, a scientific yeah 
and I apologise. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Scientist, but that, to me, that's a, such a scientistic uh-huh. kind of approach, you know, that kind of top-down kind of looking, oh, yeah, good, oh, well, there you go, you know, that's, that's that. Um, and so the mechanics of that, that idea that there's no such thing as a, pre, as a free will because everything mm. is predetermined by how we're programmed biologically. Yeah, that to me no, that's something that being a scientist, it, like, it creates me a little bit of like, not that like anxiety, but like, well, right. like philosophical anxiety. Right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, Why? Because like now there's like a gene that, a gene for everything, yes. for like violence. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I don't want to live in a, in a like this like, no. Uh, supremacy of like the, the genetics, but, but this then, is also just about statistics, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we yeah, just yeah, look yeah. at you know, oh well, all the people that have got the R67, you know, whatever, um, you know, 87% of those get um, breast cancer. So, I mean, that to me is not interesting. To me, mm-hmm. it's much more interesting, and, and I think that dissolves as soon as you realize that you are nothing and you can let go of that. If you get cancer, then you get cancer, and that's kind of interesting, <laughs> you know. And yeah, it, yeah. that's not to say that it's not sad; that it's not a huge, huge sad. I think everyone ought to be sad all the time, really. You know, if you're not sad, then there's a problem, really. I mean, I basically, I'm just sad. You know, there are just little, little spaces like this. Yeah. We're having a nice talk together. Mm, and you know yeah I was talking so with some friends the other day and he's like but you feel like I don't know like depressed like no you're, you're my friend was telling me like you usually are quite quite okay like yeah like I mean like I'm not anxious I'm not depressed right. like, but I'm terribly sad sometimes yeah and but it's beautiful I like it yeah I like exactly it. <laughs> it is real it's, yeah there's nothing more real really than mm-hmm. than to mourn and to be sad about loss mm. You know, I yeah. think that's that's absolutely right, um, and it connects us. That that sadness connects mm-hmm. us. It's very human to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, my question also with the with the genetics was more into like the um, this kind of like su- uh, survival. Um, I don't know. Um, um, drive that like human right. species has and that like make us very humanist in terms of like being self-centered in, like, right. and then um how how could like a post-humanist therapy uh help us like to overcome like this like centeredness like sometimes it's just, like just for survival of like the species right yeah well i mean just I, go beyond like this like i think the survival of the species is entirely if we decided as a human species, if it was somehow possible for us as a human species to decide to allow ourselves to become extinct, mm-hmm. I think that would be marvellous. <laughs> you know, like just speculating on that, um, we automatically assume that it must be a bad thing because there will be no humans. But the only people that would mourn the absence of humans would be humans. There wouldn't be a single animal, there wouldn't be a tree or a rock or a lake or a river that would spend one millisecond mourning the absence of humans. And so, if all the humans disappeared, I think it would be, if they were capable of being relieved, you know, the animals and the trees and the rivers would be immensely relieved that we had finally left them alone. 
probably. You know. Yeah. Now moving on to like a couple of things that you say at the at the beginning, um, and even though it's, it's not something that you you work directly with that, but what are your thoughts on on transhumanism, um, and transhumanism being like yeah this movement, no, like that seeks to develop and 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 make available technologies to enhance human capacities mm. in order to achieve a post-human future of like a, a better a better future of in which a future in which like humans are more connected but in the end for me that position is is the most humanist position ever right. yeah. and it's like a self-contradiction yeah. otherwise i wanted to to yeah. see your I, thoughts I, I, on, I on, totally on that agree. Um, i think that idea that um, some people want to uh, extend life beyond 130 years you know they want to live longer why, why? <laughs> to enjoy the money that they've amassed, you know, because they'll all be rich people, you know. Um, that kind of technology is very much about who has the money and who doesn't, doesn't it? I mean, even in just simply um, having your gene, um, what do they call it, gene picture, when you get all your genes to see whether you've got the gene for this and the gene. A, gen- a genotype. Which, Genotyping, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. is, is again yeah. the privilege of... Meanwhile, the other half of the human beings in the world don't have enough to eat. You know, that seems to me so elitist. It's like we're making this pyramid more and more, and we're all trying to get up the top of that pyramid, and we all want to be there, and we all want to get there, and we all want to be live longer, be better able to think, you know, be more beautiful, have a six-pack, <laughs> you know. All of those things are so absurd to me um, that, but we don't know how to live. We don't know how not to be cruel. We don't know how not to perpetuate suffering in our world, even though we have the capacity to do so. That's absurd, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. And um, so why did you choose this particular type of performance? Page came up with this when he was asked to speak somewhere um, and he came up with this idea that he would speak on 12 topics, I think it was, or 10 topics at random, drawn from, he had them written on the index cards, and then it would be recorded. In those days it was all analogue, because there was no digital technology. Um, and so it was being all done analogue and mixed live. So, But in exactly the ways it was done here, um, um, with, so that you end up with all these layers of the voice and the repetition of the voices and all the meanings of everything that's being said is kind of pushing against everything else and it becomes a very i don't know if it, i haven't you see i haven't sat in an audience and listened to it i'd love to hear someone else do it because i don't really know what it sounds like if someone else is doing it but the idea is that you know everything that you say is repeat, you know, is said again, kind of, over and over and over again. So it's, I don't know, I don't know if it works. Well, and then it becomes to have another meaning, I suppose. Yeah, well, that's that... right. And you're reminded mm. of, you know, when you give a linear talk and you say this, 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 and this, and then you say, what was it you oh. said there? And so fragments come back mm-hmm. as you're listening to what I'm saying now. What I said half an hour ago is mm-hmm. floating across. But my friend, who's a theatre director, who saw my performance in Waga, said. You should be on a stage, you should have one single spotlight on you, that the room should be in complete mm-hmm. darkness, and you should be out the front. 
which or, yeah. I, guess, know, like, I guess like the experience would, would be very very different from, very from what, different. what we heard here very different I think mm. I want to try doing mm-hmm. it that way just as, as an experiment I don't know what is the best way to tell people that they are nothing that they don't exist well I think like, I guess like the darkness darkness like, is better I think so. I would say so because it room. makes you just yes. de- detach a little bit from from right. things, just like just, just like the spot on you saying like you're nothing and everything matters. Yeah, I'd like to try it. <laughs> I actually did it in Wagga, which is where Matt Schulz, mm-hmm. who's the director, yep. uh, the artistic director of the festival, comes from, and we know each other mm-hmm. from um, Wagga. And I did it in Wagga, and it was quite a different performance. There was only 15 people in the room but huge speakers and an enormous amount of feedback and all the loops that were playing in the background were feeding back and it became almost impossible to stay in the room because it was so loud and I was in you know as as I was talking mm-hmm. about how urgent these issues are you know it became more and more kind of difficult for the people to come kind of, but whereas in here it was so it couldn't be more different today it was so civilized Apart from the fact that it seemed very hot to me, it was like everyone was very politely listening and, you know, the mix was very polite. And in Wagga I was working with a sound guy that I've worked with over many years and he knows exactly what, you know, what we're doing and, and he takes, he likes taking risks, you know, um, whereas this was very safe and very clinical almost. It felt like I was talking in a hospital to the patients. We always end our interviews with um, a couple of like Proustian questions. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, just like we think like it helps know a bit more about the, the person behind those ideas or art or practices. What would be your, what's your chief enemy of creativity? Enemy? Yeah. I would say ambition. I mean, I taught mm-hmm. visual arts for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I taught people and I would say to them, what, what are you doing? What, what is it that you want? You know, and they want people to see their work, they want to have an exhibition, they want... And then, you know, they get an exhibition and then no one comes. Or, you know, two people come and they go, oh, it was very disappointing, you know. And you say, well, you had an exhibition, you made a wonderful work, or often not. Uh, but what you actually learned, was that what you want is an audience? You know, why do you want an audience? What is it that you do that's so interesting that you think it deserves that people... And so then I think creativity, well, I don't really know what it is, but I mean it dries up, people become... They start producing certain kinds of things because they think that that's what their imagined audience wants and they're no longer making things that they themselves want to make. So I would say ambition, but of course money, which is very closely related. Yes. <laughs> very much. Uh, you couldn't live without? Um, peanut butter? Um, that's a really tough one. I mean, in principle, I, I would probably like to think that there is nothing that I couldn't live mm-hmm. without. Um, I have a very important person in my life who, you know, we've been together a long time and I would probably think that maybe a romantic thing to say would be I couldn't live without her, but you know, if she wasn't there anymore, or she, you know, I, I think I would find a way to continue 
somehow. So that's, I don't know whether that goes some way to... I think like nothing fits very well with what you were telling us before. Yeah, well, I think, you know, nothing is, is probably... <laughs> As in, like, in the more, like, philosophical sense of, not, of nothing. Yeah, it no, sounds no, very not, cold, though, doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, like, this the last one. Um, what would be your image of this location? That's one for the festival. I think it's so fascinating that it's here in Poland, which is, you know, when Matt told me that, that it was going to be this location, I mean, both in terms of people that have moved from here, I don't know how many millions of Pole, Poles are not in Poland, mm. you know, they're in England and they're, you know, wherever. Um, they're often in places, it seems, that they, that people don't want them. Um, and then Krakow also seems to be a place where, that, that attracts a lot of people from elsewhere, perhaps not in the same way or to the same extent as Berlin or Prague or Amsterdam, but still, you know, that it's, there are people that are attracted to this place. And so, yeah, there's a very interesting kind of, on the one hand, absence of people who've been dislocated and presence of people who've been dislocated, but to mm -hmm. Krakow. So it's interesting to me that there is this festival and people come here from all over and uh, are very willing, it seems, to be exposed to some quite <laughs> radical ideas <laughs> the thrill of yes. radical ideas <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the doves <laughs> yes absolutely a week after the festival we got up again with Johannes over a Skype chat to see how these one-to-one -one sessions have developed and also his state on what he had learned from them I mean from a personal kind of point of view, what, what I wasn't really anticipating, although I should have, was how totally exhausting the process mm. would be. You know, so I was doing three or four sessions a day with people, usually an hour and a half, sometimes longer. Mm -hmm. and, and about halfway through the process, I, re I was talking to one of the performers and they were telling me about the gig and uh -huh. I was thinking I'm doing 13 individual performances, <laughs> interactive, you know, individual performances. And yeah, I, I, it was quite weird. And I, I felt quite disconnected from, from the festival as uh -huh. well, you know. I guess because like, if you keep busy doing that, like you're not that much part of it. In... No, that's right. And so, and, and reading the reviews afterwards mm -hmm. and, and, you know, talking to a few people afterwards, it yeah. sounded really amazing. And I was like there, but I wasn't there. So that was kind of weird. Yeah, so I did 13 sessions. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of them were with couples. Yeah. And working with couples is great, but it's, it's even more intense because you're dealing with, you know, one person, you know, two individual people, and then also the dynamic between yeah. those and people. And the interaction, no? It's like it's it is something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So you're paying, you know, you're like... Almost three or four. <laughs> huh. So, but look, I mean, what was really amazing about it was that uh, there were so many people that were interested mm -hmm. that I, I had not anticipated that. There was a waiting list of 20 people, you know, hoping uh -huh. that someone would drop out um, so that they could have a session. Do you think that that's a reflection of, like, 
need a need of like just talking to someone or just finding something something else well there's a couple of things one is that and a number of people told me that they would never have therapy they would never have thought of having uh-huh. therapy but because it was offered as part of the festival uh, and they were at the festival anyway mm-hmm. and because you know I guess that they trust that you yeah. know, me as a person mm-hmm. being appointed by unsound as the Yeah, something closer, not to to your yeah, yeah. to your so, you know, way it's not of some mm. random guy. Mm. Um, and then, of course, it's free. Mm-hmm. So I always work free, uh-huh. and then you know I invite donations if yeah. people can afford it and they want to. Whatever, here's my webpage for mm. donations. But it's not. I don't want to talk about or think about money or money influencing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not just a post-humanist. I'm a post-capitalist, <laughs> right? So. You know, I think that if we value something, that we will pay for it, mm-hmm. and we 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 will pay for it according to what we can afford, etc. So, but yeah, that that step of actually ringing someone up or emailing them and them as a therapist, and then being engaging in the process of therapy is a big step for mm-hmm. people. That's the beautiful thing about the festival. You know, we're here for the festival. This is a festival activity. I'm just going to go along and. and you know, see what it's like. And then there's the post-humanist angle, which I think for a lot of people wasn't really interesting. And they've heard of post-humanist therapy, they don't know what it involves, but they're interested in, in post-humanism, whatever, however they understand mm-hmm. it. So some people came along and they just really wanted to ha- argue about post-humanism, I must say. <laughs> you know, there's always, there's always like, like a kind of like this, as the, the same as in, as in talks, Or like yeah, so when you go like speak somewhere, there's always that person who's like just like pro like just yeah. wants to confrontate the, the confrontation or like the the provoking. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and there were some people who would just wanted therapy and they didn't mm. care whether it was posthumanist or what it was. Uh, you know, they you know I drew on a lot of stuff that was just straight therapy that I've done mm. to people in the past. Um, so yeah, interesting. What other thing like strike strike you the most from those sessions, or like, or I don't know, were like the kind of the needs a person had, that like were like things that you would expect, or they were coming up with like things that you like because of like the um, it's I don't know, like the people that are in that festival maybe have like particularities that other people I don't know doesn't have, or their questions uh, because it's like completely because they weren't like. Maybe it's more the maybe more people like as you were saying it's like more the curiosity. Did you find differences with like the with other like the usual patients or? Well, because because the way I work is not authoritarian in any way. You know, it's collaborative, uh, and the way I see it is we we're, we're just two people together in a room or three people whatever in a room we're having a conversation. And I mean, I've had some experience in doing this before and I've had some training and I've had you know I've got some ideas but it's not it's a collaborative approach it's not me telling you what you should do it's not a top-down approach um, and so some people I think that they just wanted my advice uh-huh. um, and this always happens you know somebody is looking for Somebody to advise them mm-hmm. things, and then my approach is well. Let's talk this through together and see what ideas we come up with. And then sometimes I will say what I think about it. For example, there was a couple there, and 
they were, there was obviously some tension there, but when they came in, I said, oh, you know, are you here to do therapy or did you just want to have a conversation about post-humanism? Which is after a few sessions, I realised that was a good thing to, to <laughs> ask. And he said, oh, no, we're just here to have a conversation about post-humanism. You know, I mentioned some theorists and mm. they said, oh, very interesting. But I made a mistake because I didn't check with her. I just assumed that, you know, they, he was speaking for both of them. Uh-huh. What I should have done was um, said to her, you know, well, are you, do you agree with this? So it's a kind of beginner's mistake, which I kind of regret. But towards the end, we'd done about probably three quarters of an hour. I said, so how do you think it's going? You know, are you mm-hmm. enjoying all we've had? You know, we're talking about Karen Barad you know, uh, object-oriented ontologies and all this mm-hmm. kind of good stuff, interesting stuff. But she was looking a bit annoyed. Uh-huh. And I said, Thanks. you know, I, you know, how's it going for you? And she said, yeah, I'm a bit annoyed because I was thinking we were here to do therapy. And I said, oh, okay, mm-hmm. oh, we can do therapy mm-hmm. if you want. And so then we started doing this therapy. That You know, she had a lot of stuff about the relationship that she wanted to, to air. Uh-huh. And so we did this whole session, and was he pleased? Uh, was was he pleased with the idea? Mm-hmm. She had so many things to add. No, Bec- I, uh, no. <laughs> especially because like the way, like like no, no, I'm here just for posthumanism. Well, yeah, I mean, he went along with it. Yeah, um, that was a really interesting kind of development. Mm-hmm. That you know, normally if you if a, if a, if a couple comes to see me, I'll you know I wouldn't. Obviously, say you just here for a conversation about posthumanism, but mm-hmm. because of the festival yeah. that had happened a couple of times, so that was interesting. And then, I mean, that, there was there was one person there, and I thought, this is a performance artist. You know, there was a part of me that was thinking, mm-hmm. this is a performance artist who's come along as a kind of, uh, you know, like a Sophie Calais uh-huh. type of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's come along with this persona. Uh-huh. And it was a really weird, I mean, I don't know, this is right close towards the end, I don't know whether my brain was kind of starting to, you know, dissolve. But I thought, wow, you know, she was like either a really troubled person or she was just, it was a performance. And I couldn't work it out. And she made a number of references to David Lynch. Uh, you know, throughout, like she kept on looking around. Really? And I said, what are you looking at? And she was like, oh, I feel like I'm on the set of a David Lynch movie. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, is she going to start talking backwards? Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, the red room. <laughs> that was quite disconcerting. Uh, and she had actually said, and I said, oh, what made you, you know, uh, write to me and ask for an appointment? And she said, oh, it wasn't me, it was a friend. Okay, so do you actually want to be here? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, cool. yeah, so, but, yeah, there was some really, there was, there were a couple of people who I felt like they had really, you know, really discovered something crucial mm-hmm. about themselves yeah. and about how they, they, were, they are in the world as a result of this uh, session and mm-hmm. a couple of them have been in contact with me afterwards. And yeah, so. that's, I wanted to ask you if, like, if you if you got like feedback from any of your sessions yeah. or kept con- yeah, contact. So I wrote or... to everyone and asked them to write to un- you know to write to Unsound if they found it useful uh-huh. and let them know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at the time, I thought I will never do this again. 
You know, but now, of course, now I'm yeah. rapid and, and, you know, I think, oh, if they invited me again, you know, I'd be delighted. Mm. Um, but, yeah, a couple of people wrote to me afterwards and one in particular I met up with again just for a coffee mm. um, a couple of days before the end of the festival just to touch base and, you know, she felt really significantly... Because it's very compressed, mm -hmm. uh, normally I would work with people, you know, over time. Uh, so you change your your method for particularly for for the festival. I, I don't really have a method. Okay, but, well, no method. Uh, or your or your um more re I guess like but you have a certain regularity in the way you do, or not even that. Well, I mean, I, I, I not no regularity or pattern of like or structure. No, 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 like structure. You have a certain structure for your session? I think I took more risks. I think mm -hmm. I took more risks okay. mm -hmm. than I would normally do. You know, uh -huh. I look quite cautious and think, you know, Just let's play it safe. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll, I'll say to the person, uh -huh. well, you know, it would be good if I could see you again next week or something like that. But now I knew, uh, you know, I knew that what was going to happen probably. Uh, so I think I took a couple of risks. Uh -huh. Uh, I told one couple that they're probably in the process of breaking up. <laughs> that's really, that's that's brave. But well, maybe that's what I guess you felt that that's maybe what they needed to hear. Well, I, I, you know, I I don't think I would have done that uh, if I was it, seeing them again next week. You know, I might have said it next week or or the week after or something. If I you know, but I would have allowed myself to uh, have, have more time to form an opinion about mm -hmm. it. But In that case, it just seemed like maybe that's what they were there for, you know, was actually just to yeah. think about that possibility. Mm -hmm. To answer your question, I think I did, I, 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 I took more risks, I was more bold and mm -hmm. also prepared to like just, oh well, you know, I'll say this and see what I'll happens. Happen. Well, it's kind of a, a little experiment. Yeah, I mean, no, not an well, experiment, but, but just like know. a different, completely different setup. That mm, yeah, different, different setup, and perhaps also I'm influenced by the idea that maybe they're because they're unsound, they're not sort of very conventional people. Yeah, you know, that which you can. Do you think you can? You could push boundaries a little bit more maybe, with yeah. this, with, with them, with this, with, with the the patients or like the the people. Yeah, for sure. I mm -hmm. think that because we're at Unsound and yeah. it's part of Unsound, I think I, I could, I, I came to that conclusion sort of over over the, the days of the festival that perhaps, you know, these are people that are prepared to, to mm -hmm. you know, one person wanted to talk about, you know, using psychedelic drugs in order to affect personal change. Yeah. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. well, there's all, all this trend these days, all like, like the mi micro doses of like LSD and even yeah. for like and, um, um, performance enhancement, or they even say like in, in Silicon Valley they take these like micro doses of LSD to just for what enlighten. They <laughs> don't know, I, I can't remember. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was like there's not been a few articles in, so. Yeah, so we talked about no. that. That doesn't normally happen. Okay. Yeah. I think if I had some some interesting drugs there that you know I could have offered to people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the session that there would have been these two or three people. Yeah, say so like yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's take some MDMA. Yeah.
Um, Maybe an idea for next year. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Any experience that really like upset you, or like, well, apart from that, like that 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 girl that you were saying, the performance, but that that was like the like the one that struck you the most. Like in, I don't know, like sometimes things just like really upset you inside. You know, I spent three years working with people who were dying, so that you know, I'm pretty robust. <laughs> Um, I think probably what you know, if there was something that if a negative feeling would be that you know there were there was one person probably who wasn't really taking it seriously, and they were, it was kind of like an entertainment for them. They were entertaining themselves, uh -huh. maybe a couple, and I sort of felt like this is a waste of my time. Yeah, I felt like I was at a party, but I couldn't get away from the person. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just, I like, just want to stop talking to you, like, I'm, I'm cornered. <laughs> no, it's also like, when, yeah. when someone doesn't take seriously your, your profession or what you do or your, or your job or something that you're, you're trying to do, I think, yeah, it gets, it's just not a, a very nice feeling. I yeah, guess. and when you're doing it, well, A, when you're doing it for free, mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if people are paying you, like, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah. I can be your clown. <laughs> it's less likely to happen, right? Yeah. Like when you're doing free, then somebody goes, okay. But also, because there were 20 people on the waiting list, mm -hmm. and really, you know, my decisions about who to give a session to and who, you know, was pretty random. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would ask the people, you know, what are you, what's your interest? Um, can you tell me something about yourself in the email? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Prior to the festival. But yeah, you know, in the end, I, I was thinking, oh wow, you know, that there may be somebody who really in need. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually, there, there are a few people there who really needed someone to listen to them. So yeah, when you have people like that, you feel a little bit like it's a shame that yeah. you're taking my time. Um, but okay, well, I guess like it's it's part of it. There's always like people are. Skeptical, and they're gonna criticize that. And well, you can have like positive criticism or like completely like negative. Well, this is. Um, are you gonna write anything for like for the, this experience for the festival or just? Um, yeah, I think I would like to. Um, I mean, in, in terms of you know developing something called that I'm calling post-humanist therapy, mm -hmm. um, uh, it's really useful. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly thinking about that and thinking about, you know, how to explain what I do and why, why I think it's important. Um, not just for personal change, but also for because I think, you know, as I said in my talk, I think the world is broken. You know, humanity as a whole is broken. And we need to, to, to find a way to fix it if we're going to carry on, you know, uh, occupying the planet. Um, and so, therefore, I think potentially a post-humanist therapy could be a really useful and important contribution to that. So, certainly, it's helped me enormously to have this intense period with people who are ready to think a little bit differently about mm -hmm. things uh, and working with them. So certainly that will find its way into uh, into another mm -hmm. book at some at some point. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, it's it's really an out there 
decision by a festival to to decide that mm. they're going to have a resident um, therapist at a festival. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting when you think of the word. Um, I was reading somewhere the other day that the word curating actually comes from the Latin word for care. Uh huh. Yeah, which I didn't know. Mm. Uh, Curare is, is, is Cura, yeah. care, I don't know, maybe in Spanish it's similar. Mm-hmm. Curare is, is, is um, well, it's heal. In Spanish it's heal. More than care, it's okay. curare is, is heal. Mm-hmm. So how interesting that, you know, there, there are all these people who call themselves curators. Yeah. But do they actually think about that aspect of curating? Yeah, yeah, which is much nicer, much gen- gentle, no? And like you're... So it's kind of a perfect, uh-huh. really, to have, yeah, I think every festival mm-hmm. should have a resident therapist. They have uh, yeah. Partly because <laughs> of that thing that I said at the beginning, you know, that people are prepared to go and see a therapist at a festival because it's part of a festival and, you know, the therapist is known to the curators mm-hmm. of the festival and it's free and so why not? Uh, I can imagine sitting in a little tent, you know, off yeah. to the side, mm-hmm. and somebody's all of a sudden having a problem, like maybe even they're having a bad trip or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go and see the therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like medicalizing. <laughs> I, I mean, I can talk somebody down, no problem, you know. Of course. <laughs> but what what do they have at the normal festival, like a St. John's Ambulance sort of guy? Yeah. You know, that kind of, you know, <laughs> they do with people that are suffering from from existential crises mm-hmm. you know so yeah I don't know whether this may be the beginning of a a thing I think yeah yeah <laughs> maybe accept your mortality your ending has already begun it began when you drew your first breath it's already here right now there is a spectrum there are many people who are more dead than alive but we don't see them they don't get out much they're hidden in hospitals and aged care facilities and in their houses they're alive in a strictly clinical sense but dead in another they may be breathing and even walking around but they're not here They would die if they could, if they could do so peacefully and easily. They had a choice. The point is that life is not precious to the same degree for everyone. Everyone thinks, and a lot of people say, it's supposed to be. If you don't love your life, there's supposed to be something wrong with you. You must be depressed. You think your life is average? You should do something to make it better. If you think people are mostly ordinary, you are depressed. If you don't value other people's lives above all else, maybe you're a psychopath. How do we begin to change? For the want of a better word, I've been using the word therapy. 
begins with losing the juvenile features of our humanity, of our intellect, our emotional states. Let's get real. Be authentic. Stop falling in love with emptiness. Buffed up and spray painted and photoshopped to look potential, to look substantial. Let there be an end to postmodern irony and cool distance. There's an urgent need that has to be addressed, and it's growing more urgent by the day, by the minute, even as I've been standing here. It has likely become more urgent and frankly less likely to succeed. Each molecule matters, each movement is important. If I don't exist, why am I still here? I am here now. I am not here now. It doesn't matter. That binary doesn't matter. Everything matters. That binary doesn't matter. Everything matters. I imagine a silent world, the void that is of human sounds. Only the voices of animals are heard, and the sound of rain, and the rustling of leaves and stones, if they happen to fall in a pond or a lake, or if they come tumbling down a mountain for instance, in an avalanche or an ice age and come to rest in an unlikely place. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to us. We hope you enjoyed. For the next one, we will have artist and cyborg Neil Harbison talking about posthumanism, but from a completely different angle. Till then.